the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. On this Thursday, it is the 28th day. I've got to be careful saying morning because depending on the t- uh, the uh, location you might be in this wonderful country of ours. I always like to start my programs by saying welcome to this program on the morning of the 28th morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Uh, so i got to be careful, though, because you may be morning, you may be afternoon. I don't know. But welcome. My name is Bob France, sitting in for Dennis live here. I am in the afternoon now, as I am in the Eastern Time Zone. So uh, welcome to this afternoon's broadcast of the Dennis Prager Show, live in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, the home base is AM 1420, The Answer. And I'm having a little bit of a hard time hearing myself here, so I'm going to ask my guys to push a button or two on the other side so that I can hear myself uh, a little bit better. Um, but welcome. Uh, what an imp- incredibly important day. And I want to explain something as we get started today. And I welcome you, of course, to call, you know the number, 8Prager776, when you are ready, 877-243-7776. Um, coming up in uh, about an hour, at the top of our second hour, we are going to address the defining issue of our time right now, our right to speak and to be heard and to not be suppressed and to not be censored, to not be arrested for expressing ourselves in a manner that the First Amendment demands that we have the right to do. Uh, We're going to talk with uh, Patrick Wood, who is the executive director and founder of Citizens for Free Speech. He's going to be joining us uh, to talk about um, a number of issues, everything from Birdwatcher, which is, if you are still, and I don't know how many of us are, I know I am not one um, that still uses Twitter. This would impact you or affect you in some way. Birdwatcher, which is essentially an Orwellian maneuver by the tech giants, the technocrats. Uh, Jack Dorsey, the owner and founder of, uh, of, uh, of Twitter. It's an Orwellian manner of demanding that citizens report and... Um, rat, essentially, on dissenters, those who are not preaching the party orthodoxy. So when I say Orwellian, of course, you know I speak of 1984. There's probably a little bit of Huxley in there as well. But literally telling and demanding that other users keep an eye on, spy on, monitor, watch, stalk, and report to the party elders, report to... The government, if you will, and in this case, the government is the ownership of the big tech companies like Twitter and like Facebook and like Google and like Amazon and Apple. Report to them things that you see that you don't like so that we can effectively silence any of that dissent. 
And we're going to talk about that. It is, I mean, look, we're dealing with a host of issues. Don't get me wrong. We have foreign policy nightmares. We have energy nightmares. We have job nightmares. All of those nightmares have been kind of crammed together in one six-day span of what has become the Biden administration at this point. But um, the one defining issue that we have here is our fundamental constitutional rights to disagree and the organization that Patrick represents that we'll talk to at uh, the top of the second hour, uh, Citizens for Free Speech, is passionate about defending those rights. The First Amendment is under serious assault. Not just, by the way, from the technocrats. It's one thing for Zuckerberg to censor, ban, silence conservative viewpoints on Facebook. One could argue... If they wanted to be very strict, well, that's a private company. You you use their service at their pleasure, and they can allow anybody on they want and, and, and disallow anybody they want. Now, I think there's a major problem with that that needs to be dealt with legislatively. I think clearly when social media platforms have risen to such prominence in in terms of the conveyance of information in people's lives, they have effectively become media. Not just social media any longer, but media. And as such, they should be held to the same standards as traditional media. And quite frankly, they have an outsized influence over the way people in this country think anymore. So for them to just say it's a private company, we can use it how we want, and we can deny users uh, the access to it if we want, they may have a point from simply a private enterprise conveyance of news and information a la broadcast networks they are just as relied upon if not more so than traditional media or or legacy media is these days and they should be held accountable but it's not just the dorseys and the zuckerbergs and the rest of the uh, uh the the uh, big tech giants that that we have to talk about here for the first time we now are watching government government playing a role in the suppression of free speech in the form of an FBI raid and arrest of a private citizen for daring to go onto the Internet and share memes. You heard me correctly, memes, M-E-M-E-S, memes. Political memes, which are all over the Internet. Some of them are satire. Parody, some of them are mocking, some of them are downright cruel. Make no mistake about it. I get that. But all of them are protected, or at least they used to be, by free speech. And for the first time, the government now, I believe it's for the first time, my friend Daniel Horowitz at Conservative Review believes that it's for, that it's for the first time, For the very first time, the government is arresting people for their expression of speech. A man in Florida was arrested for posting and sharing memes that advised people in 2016, don't worry about going to the polls. You can text your vote for Hillary. Text Hillary to this number and your vote will be counted. Don't bother going to the polls. He has been arrested and charged with trying to 
disenfranchise people, to literally steal their votes from them. When he has done no such thing, but he has been arrested, we are careening into a very, very dangerous place right now. We are going to, we, I don't know when we're going to hit the point of no return, cross the proverbial Rubicon, but I will tell you this. If one person can be arrested for sharing a Facebook or Twitter meme during an election or during a campaign, we all can be arrested for doing something similar. How many of us have posted on social media things that are not accurate but are funny? How many of us have posted? I mean, let me, let me back up for a second. Long before the advent of social media memes, we had something called political cartoons. Political editorial cartoons, right? How many of them, in the, in the interest of satire, have a politician saying something that the politician really didn't say? Or doing something that a politician or elected official or public figure really didn't do? It's called satire. It's called joking. It's called making fun. And it's called protected speech. That's what Internet memes are. Making fun of liberal voters, as this particular individual was doing, and I'll give you more details on it in the next segment, but making fun of liberal voters by saying, these people are so stupid, if you tell them to text their votes, they'll think they can actually vote by text. Here you go. Vote for Hillary. I'm with her. Text your vote to this person, one vote per, or to this number, one vote per person, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And apparently, some 4,900, according to the FBI, some 4,900 liberal Hillary supporters did. They texted the word Hillary to a certain number, proving the point of the meme. These people are idiots. But did they really have their votes denied? Did they really have their votes stolen? Any more so than the thousands of sworn affidavits show were stolen in this 2020 election? Thousands of sworn affidavits. You know what that means. A sworn affidavit is the same thing as swearing under oath in a court of law. You are subject to perjury penalties. And we have tons of those that have been signed. Nobody said a word in 2020, but we're going to go back and arrest people now for 2016. All right. Uh, We are off and rolling. We have a lot to talk about today. I appreciate you being with us on the Dennis Prager Show. Bob France sitting in. We'll be right back. Hi, Dennis Prager here again with a message for anyone struggling with pain. Of course, I want you to know about Relief Factor, the 100% drug-free supplement that tens of thousands are now taking every day. I take it every day. I like being out of pain. But I know you may be skeptical. I certainly was. Then I kept hearing about all the people, including my wife, who were no longer in pain. So I decided to give it a try. In fact, listen to Janice's story. I was skeptical at first. But because of the pain that I was having when I would uh, substitute teach and have to climb stairs, so I have lower back, hip, and even knee pain. And after about three weeks, I found that I could climb stairs pain-free. But it wasn't only pain-free. I could do it step over step without holding on the railing. 
I'm really happy. It, it makes me feel like I'm young again. That's relieffactor.com or call 800-500-8384, 800-500-8384. No, you're not alone, because I'm going to make this place your home. You are indeed home, if home is the Dennis Prager Show. And yeah, I'm going to roll with that. Bob France sitting in Dennis's house, if you will, right now. Thanks for being with us. I'm live in Cleveland, Ohio, in the ReliefFactor.com studios, pain-free as they are. Phone number is 1-8-Prager-776. That's 877-243-7776. You know, I'm, I, I wanted to start, actually, today's broadcast by talking about the executive orders uh, being forced upon the American people, destructive and deadly. And they are, all of those things, destructive and deadly, by Joe Biden who has decided that it's actually not dictatorial to use executive orders when a liberal Democrat is issuing the executive orders. You, you probably remember what Joe Biden said back in October, just about a month, even a little less than a month, because it was kind of late October, uh, about a month before the election, uh, when Joe Biden declared that you need to get the votes. You've got to get the legislative votes to enact your policies. And if you don't, You're a dictator. He said, we're a democracy. He said that erroneously, of course, as we are not a democracy. We are a representative republic, which is very much different. But at any rate, he said, we're a democracy. And you cannot uh, cannot, um, govern by executive order unless you are a dictator. Well, apparently Joe Biden is a dictator. That's how I wanted to start this broadcast and talk about so many of these executive orders. But I kind of uh, got caught chasing a squirrel here, and I'm I'm going to go all the way up the tree with it here. I want to talk a little bit more about uh, the freedoms that we are watching erode before our very eyes, the freedoms to express ourselves, the freedoms to uh, argue, to issue a dissenting viewpoint. And we know that censorship is being practiced by the far left in terms of technology and technocracy uh, by way of our uh, banning and suppression and shadow bans and so forth on, uh, on social media platforms. But we're talking about the FBI now. And I mentioned my friend Daniel Horowitz uh, from Conservative Review. He's one of my most trusted sources of incredible information on these in these areas. And he wrote a piece this morning talking about the bizarre arrest of a quote-unquote social media influencer. That's what they're calling him, is a social media influencer who uh, used technology and used social media platforms to rob people, to steal votes from actual American voters by using the internet to share uh, internet memes. Headline Social media influencer charged with election interference stemming from voter disinformation campaign, campaign. Very odd, very vague, clearly. So let's look a little deeper. As Daniel writes, a Florida man was arrested this morning on charges of conspiring with others in advance of the 2016 U.S. presidential election to use various social media platforms to disseminate misinformation designed to deprive individuals of their constitutional right to vote, end quote. Now I'm going to pause here for a little bit of editorial comment. That comment is, are these people serious? Depriving one of their constitutional right to vote is different than playing on their stupidity and saying, don't wait in line to vote, text your vote to Hillary right here. That's not depriving someone of their vote. That's just exposing somebody's 
extraordinary stupidity. I'll get back away from the editorial now and talk more about this. Uh, Again, Daniel Horowitz writing about this. So the DOJ is finally going to go after election fraud? What did this guy do? Throw out ballots? Engage in mail-in fraud like endless witnesses and sworn affidavits did and testimony before the legislatures? No, 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 no. The DOJ is not interested in that tangible fraud. They are arresting a guy who simply used speech. Douglas Mackey, whose online name at the time was Ricky Vaughn, which is kind of cute. That's the picture that Charlie Sheen played in the uh, 1989 movie um, Major League. Ricky Vaughn, a.k.a., or rather Douglas Mackey, a.k.a. Ricky Vaughn, of West Palm Beach, taken into custody and charged with having, quote, exploited a social media platform to infringe upon one of the most basic and sacred rights guaranteed by the Constitution, the right to vote, end quote, according to Nicholas McQuaid, acting assistant attorney general of the Justice Department's criminal division. After several paragraphs of DOJ officials bloviating about the constitutional dangers, or the the dangers, rather, of uh, violating somebody's constitutional right to vote, they finally got around to describing... Um, what the individual did. How did they engage in fraud? How did this person engage in fraud? On November 1st, 2016, this is just days before the November 8th election, Mackey allegedly tweeted an image that featured an African-American woman standing in front of an African-American's for Hillary sign. The image included the following text, avoid the line, vote for vote from home, text Hillary to 59925, vote for the candidate, vote for Hillary rather, and be a part of history. The fine print at the bottom of the image stated, must be 18 or older to vote, one vote for, per person, must be a legal citizen of the United States, voting by text, not available in Guam, Puerto Rico, Alaska, or Hawaii, paid for by Hillary for president 2016. The tweet also included the hashtags, Go Hillary, and another slogan frequently used, which I believe is probably, uh, I'm with her. On or about and before Election Day 2016, according to the FBI, at least 4,900 unique telephone numbers texted the word Hillary, or some derivative of it, to 59925, which was used in multiple deceptive campaign images tweeted by the defendant and his co-conspirators. Now, Daniel writes and explains accurately. This is very scary. Not the crime, but that the feds are going after such behavior while ignoring sworn allegations of mass fraud in this election. How was anyone's vote stolen with this subterfuge? Did somebody take somebody's vote at a counting, uh, in a counting room and discard it? That would be stealing a vote. Did somebody actually take one's vote and count it twice, double voting, which cancels somebody else's vote? That would be stealing someone's vote. The only thing that was done here is somebody used social media and the habitual use of memes to parody and make fun of other people. They did this to get a laugh, not to engage in subterfuge, thus you know, essentially stealing votes from private individuals. There are a lot of distasteful ways, Daniel writes, to use your freedom of speech, sometimes in a serious way, sometimes in a joking way. But guess what? The First Amendment was not written to protect benign speech. The First Amendment was written, this is me now, the First Amendment was written to protect the speech that we find distasteful, to protect speech that we find offensive, to protect speech. I mean, if everyone spoke 
in flowery, wonderful, glowing terms to one another, there would be no need for First Amendment protections. First Amendment protections are given and are made by the Constitution to protect speech that others disagree with. And right now in this country, as the FBI starts playing the role of Jack Dorsey of Twitter and Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook and censoring the voices of free people and not just blocking them from platforms, but threatening to lock them up, now we're in very, very Orwellian territory. I want to hear from you. We'll open up the phone lines next on The Dennis Prager Show. The Dennis Prager Show. All right, hey, friends. Continue on The Dennis Prager Show. Uh, 26 minutes before the top of the hour, Bob France sitting in for Dennis, talking about the greatest threat to our constitutional right to speak that we have ever faced. And I mean literally. I, I mentioned this earlier, and I'm going to hit it again with a couple of other names. Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple. Um... Clearly, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Facebook, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, Bill Gates, the CEO of Microsoft, and Sundar Pichai, if I'm saying his name correctly, the CEO of Google, are the most dangerous men in America. Rather, the most dangerous men in the world. And I cite them specifically because they control the flow of information. They control the flow of communication. Communication that is used to elect our leaders. You know, you hear people all the time say, well, they don't have to provide you with a forum. If, they, if you don't like the forum and the way they monitor and censor and ban and suspend accounts, then start your own platform, is what they say. Okay, Parler did exactly that. Parler said, okay, all these people are getting kicked off of Twitter, having their uh, comments censored or having them altered or, or shadow banning happening. All of these things that we don't like happening, we're going we're gonna to go over to Parler. We're going to have a free speech zone over there. And then what did they do? The same people that I just mentioned, the most dangerous men in the world, shut the competition down. And they say, well, you, we, you know... First of all, go build your own. If it works, we'll shut it down. And by the way, over here, remember, we're still private companies, so we can do whatever we want. Nobody's going to throw you in jail for your speech on here. That's the only way it, would, way it would be a real violation of the First Amendment to the Constitution. So it doesn't count. But what does matter is this. How many funds are raised for political candidates based on social media postings, social media campaigns, Political campaigns have entire teams of social media directors. And they raise money for candidates and raise money for causes online. And if only one party has access to do so, we're talking about something much bigger than just somebody you know, putting a platform up where they can uh, allow anybody they want to use it or deny anybody that they wish from using it. It's not just about speech anymore. It's ability to engage in commerce, to engage in electoral fundraising, to engage in a host of activities that are extraordinarily important to essentially, you know, all of our rights. That's why that's what makes them different. It's not just controlling the news, it's controlling the flow of information, it's controlling the ability for people to unite and communicate with one another. How many Antifa and Black Lives Matter riots were staged and organized on Twitter 
by affiliated and acknowledged Antifa and Black Lives, uh, Black Lives Matter accounts. I mean, they're on there. They're easy to find. They're all over the place. They talk about where they will meet, what their plans are. They invite each other to private rooms or web pages so they can organize together. And it's never been a problem. No one has expressed one iota of concern that the social media platforms have been used to organize staged protests that become riots. And they did it all summer long. Now you've got Parler and some people using the free speech of Parler to talk about going to the Trump rally on January 6th, and now Parler is being accused of fomenting and facilitating the assault on the Capitol. And so Parler has to go. It is impossibly, it's impossible, let's, let's phrase it this way, impossible to comprehend the depth of the double standards in, in play here. I do want to hear from you, and I do see the call screen. Now we're up and rolling. We're going to take your calls next on the Dennis Prager Show. My name is Bob France, live from Cleveland, Ohio, in the, the uh, studios of WHK AM 1420, The Answer, and we'll be back. 16 minutes before the top of the hour. Thanks for joining us again for the Dennis Prager Show. Bob France sitting in for Dennis live in Cleveland, Ohio, at WHK AM 1420, The Answer. That is the ReliefFactor.com studio that we use each and every day from 9 until 11 Eastern time. I welcome you to join us. You know Dennis's phone number by now, 8Prager776. That's 877-243-7776. Let's go to John calling us from Pittsburgh. Uh, you are on the Dennis Prager Show. Hi, John. Go ahead. I'm not hearing John. See if we can plug that. Yes, sir. How you doing? Okay. John, I've got you now. Go right ahead, sir. Thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to make a comment uh, about uh, Google, Facebook, Twitter. Um, those are all publicly traded stock companies, and as such, they're not private. Uh, I don't know. It's like I hear people saying that, well, they're private. They can do what they want. Not really. Uh, well, they're I, private I in the context. That. They're, they're they're private in the context that they're not um, uh, they're not owned by the government. They're private companies, not government-run companies or government-regulated companies in that regard. That's kind of what they mean by private. They're publicly traded, yes, but that just means that there are private investors who are part of, you know, through their public trading, they're part of those companies, but they're not government-controlled. And when they talk, and this is their excuse, uh, what I'm trying to say, yeah. John, is when, when they talk about censorship and they say, well, this isn't really a violation of the First Amendment because it's not the government uh, uh, um, restricting your speech. It's private companies restricting who can use their services. And in that context, they are private. Yeah, I still don't think that they can actually censor people uh, for their for their opinions on, on those things just because they're not because they're publicly traded. Now, if they were private alone, like Hobby Lobby, for instance, and they have their religiously, you know, they don't want to pay for abortions, for instance, uh, I think that's their right because they're privately owned to government and no one else can tell them what to do because no one owns their stock. But as a publicly owned company with the stock, well, I'm a conservative, but I own some shares of Twitter. Well, you know, they're going against what I believe, you know, is free speech. Gotcha. No, you make a great point, John. I do. I do. You make a very good point, and I appreciate the phone call. Thanks for the clarification, too. I just want to... um yeah, thank you. Uh, I I just want to be uh, you know clear and, uh, and and let's let's move on here. Let's uh, uh, John. Thank you for the call. Thank you. Okay. Um, 
I lost my train of thought. Um, with respect to the private versus public part of this, um, what makes the Twitter, Facebook um, monopoly you know that they have, and by extension the companies that provide their apps like Google and uh, and Apple, what makes them very different, or at least what should make them very different in the way that they are treated. Um, is the fact that, again, they are responsible for the control of information and for the ability of people to raise funds, to organize, to coordinate, and to collaborate with one another on political campaigns. That is something that is very different than, as you said, a Hobby Lobby or any other private company deciding how to you know, enforce their own rules uh, and how they should not be subject to government regulation and overreach uh, with respect to their own private rules. I agree with that wholeheartedly. What what we need to separate, though, here is the, fa- the fact that these companies have an impact on how our country is run. And one of the ways that we can impact who is running our country is by way of organizing online, by way of co- uh, communicating, coordinating, scheduling town hall meetings, scheduling... Uh, you know, our groups, our conservative coalition here, our group of friends and neighbors there that gets together once a month to talk about political issues, to maybe talk about who we want to back in our local school races. Whatever the case might be, these things are organized online. And for them to be only available to one political ideology or one political party is is a fundamental unfairness that has to be corrected by Congress. Congress has to get in and say these Information slash communication platforms cannot be exclusive to one ideology over another. That, and even though they're private, they are being used in public manners that must be regulated. Um, let's go next to John in Plainfield, Illinois. Another John. Oh, we're going to Elliot. Apologies. We're going to go to Elliot. Also in Illinois, though, so that's good news. Uh, Wilmot, is that right, Elliot? Are you in Wilmot, Illinois? It's Wilmot. Thank you. Well, Matt, good. Good to have you. Thank yeah. you. Great, and good to hear you. Um, I'm thinking that what they're, what the Department of Justice is doing is strictly a precedent-setting maneuver. It's a silly case, but uh, even if it doesn't go anywhere, they can always threaten to use this as a precedent against anybody who's, uh, uh, you know, going out of line, like, you know, stating their opinions on uh, any of these social media platforms. They can say, well, we're going to come after you if you don't do the right thing. And they're, you know... They, uh, they're very good at uh, threatening. That's what they do. Well, what they're trying to do is they're, it's so much more than just suppressing people's uh, speech online uh, by way of the platforms that I'm talking about. This is a, a small step toward a much larger goal of flat-out crushing dissent, um, dissenting points of view from the party in power. Um, and thank you, too, for the phone call. I appreciate you, Jeffrey. Um, here's what I want to share with you. This is an example of what they're trying to do. Jake Tapper on CNN um, has been above and beyond even the other uh, leftists who who work and run that network um, when it comes to defining people who were Trump supporters and lumping all of them in with the few hundred that breached the Capitol on January 6th. All 300,000 who were attendants at the speech that day are MAGA terrorists, and all of those who support Donald Trump, thus linking them to the MAGA terrorists on the mall that day, and thus linking them to those who went into the Capitol that day, we are all dangers. We are all considered MAGA terrorists. Listen to Jake Tapper. So how did these domestic terrorists storm the nation's capital? The Capitol ransacked by MAGA terrorists. The assaults perpetrated by the MAGA terrorists. The terrorists 
The MAGA terrorist. MAGA terrorist. Deadly attack by MAGA terrorists. The MAGA terrorist mob. A terrorist attack on the U.S. Capitol. Far-right domestic terrorism, a huge problem in this country. Nobody supports terrorist attacks, or I used to think that anyway, but nobody rational supports ter terrorist attacks. Should there be repercussions for your colleagues who played a role in inciting this terrorist attack? So you understand the point here. The point is to declare anybody who is MAGA, meaning a Trump supporter or a Republican or a conservative, is a potential terrorist. And thus, they must be silenced in the interest of security. More to come on The Dennis Prager Show right after this. Five minutes before the top of the hour, we continue on The Dennis Prager Show. Bob France sitting in for Dennis. We're going to talk to Patrick Wood after the top of the hour. He is the executive director and founder of Citizens for Free Speech, an organization that there should be more of, and we need more members of if we are truly going to fight the um, suppression and the straight-up censorship of speech in this country, not just by the tech giants, but literally by the government, as we saw with the story in Florida that I told you earlier. Uh, we're going to go to uh, Scott in Chatsworth, California. Hey, Scott, you're on the Dennis Prager Show yeah, with Bob. Go right ahead. Um, good morning. I'm trying to understand the difference between a state enforcing uh, an equal protection law that says a baker can cannot refuse to you know bake a cake for a same-sex uh, wedding or a photographer cannot refuse to photograph a wedding of same-sex. Those are individuals that are choosing to protect their uh, First Amendment religious rights, and the state, a state, going after uh, a company that is abridging the First Amendment right of free speech. Well, if you're looking for some sort of um, uh, an equal standard to be applied there, then you're going to be looking for a very long time. It's a uh, it's a fact that, quite simply, if there were not for double standards, the left would have no standards at all. They don't see... See, here's the thing. Your privacy to run your business the way you want, like the baker that you're talking about in Colorado or the florist in Illinois or, or any of the others, or the little sisters of the poor that don't want to pay for abortion for, for their secretaries that work with the, uh, with the organization, for crying out loud... Um, their their private rights to make their own decisions on how they run their businesses don't apply because they have a conservative ideology. If you have a leftist ideology and you wish to run your business afoul of constitutional norms, well, then that's perfectly acceptable because, again, you're looking for something that doesn't exist, my friend. You're looking for an equal standard applied to all, and that is not the way that it works in leftist uh, in leftist circles. And sadly, the leftists are in control right now. Do you have anything else for us here, uh, Scott? Uh, no, I just right. was looking at the, the legal principle involved, and you know, I yeah. understand yeah, the double standard, but but I don't see a, a there, there's a chance. To... Yeah, there's a chance that if it went to a and thank you for the call, Scott. There's a chance that if it went before a judge after many many years of trials, like the masterpiece cake shop folks had to do, uh, that you know that one could win in trial against the big tech companies. But uh, that's going to be a long road to hoe, and it's going to be very difficult, and too much damage can be done. Unchecked control of single-party control of information and communication online, which is the way we communicate in this world now, is extraordinarily dangerous. We'll be right back.
Hi, Dennis Prager here again with a message for anyone struggling with pain. Of course, I want you to know about Relief Factor, the 100% drug-free supplement that tens of thousands are now taking every day. I take it every day. I like being out of pain. But I know you may be skeptical. I certainly was. Then I kept hearing about all the people, including my wife, who were no longer in pain. So I decided to give it a try. In fact, listen to Alan's story. I've been in back pain since my early 20s. Now I'm 51. In my early 20s, I worked for the state prison. I got injured and I was off work for about a year. I'm now a train engineer. I basically sit all day long. My wife making me take relief factor literally changed my life. I don't feel like I'm 20 again, but my back does. Everyone knows you want something drug-free. You want something that will help your own body deal with the inflammation that can often cause pain. In your neck, back, shoulder, hip, knee, or foot. Actually, even general aches and pains from just getting older, exercise, everyday living, all can be a real problem, even keeping you from sleeping through the night. So here's what I suggest you do. Pete and Seth Talbot, the father-son owners of Relief Factor, have created what they call a three-week quick start. It's a trial pack, and they've discounted it to just $19.95. That's about a dollar a day, and after that, about the cost of a cup of coffee a day to stay out of pain. That's the three-week quick start for just $19.95, and you should know this. About 70% of the people who order the three-week quick start for just $19.95 go on to order more. So do what so many others have already done. Take Pete and Seth Talbot up on their offer and go to relieffactor.com and order the three-week quick start. That's relieffactor.com or call 800-500-8384, 800-500-8384. 